Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. I'm on your host, Blessing Adelaide Jr. Joining me is Villacroy Poppy himself, a.k.a. My fellow Forbes 30 under 30, a.k.a. Tim motherfucking Gettys. Let Tim host. Bless. What a Monday. Mondays are usually a big gaming news day, but it's rare we get one like this. Rare, we have really so much day. to get into. Oh, this is about oh to be God. insane. Tim, before I even get into it, show your mm-hmm. full shirt. I think I've seen this shirt before, no. but I want to be reminded. Okay, this is for the Gordo Taqueria. Yeah. Is this still... SF, a- motherfuckers know what's up. I've not been to Gordo. Is this still open? Was that the one of the ones oh, yeah. that closed during the pandemic? Oh, no, 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 no. Gordo, Gordo's still open. They'll always be open. Gotcha, gotcha. I need you to take me to Gordo someday because I've not been to Gordo. And I feel yeah, like let's I've heard do a lot it. about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Right. Tim, you know what we should mm-hmm. do right now? Talk about some video game news because there's let's a lot to that. talk about, Tim. Today's stories include Square Enix sells its Western studios. Warner Brothers could sell its studios and more because this is kind of funny games daily each and every weekday at 10 a.m live right here on twitch.tv slash kind of funny games we run you through the nerdy news you need to know about if you're watching live you can correct us when we get stuff wrong by going to kind of funny.com slash you're wrong if you don't want to watch live you can watch later on youtube.com slash kind of funny games roosteeth.com or you can listen later on podcast services around the globe by searching for kind of funny games daily remember you can use epic creator code kind of funny on all epic store and epic in-game purchases like rocket league and fortnite to help support the channel to be part of the show to patreon.com slash kind of funny games where bronze members or above get to write in and silver members or above get the show ad free with the exclusive daily post show housekeeping for you eid mubarak to all those who are celebrating and then in case you missed it uh, there's a new kind of funny x cast that's up right now breaking down uh what to expect from xbox's game showcase coming up in june that one features the one and only benji sales and that is up right now on youtube.com slash kind of funny games and on podcast services around the globe thank you to our patreon producers anonymous and fargo brady today we're brought to you by expressvpn chime and babble but We'll babble on about that later. For now, let's begin with what is, and forever will be, the Roper Report. <laughs> it's time for some news. We have four stories today. A baker's dozen. Starting with our number one. Tim, mm-hmm. Embracer Group is acquiring Eidos, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal. I'm pulling from Adam Bankhurst at IGN, and there are many parts of the story and many questions that y'all wrote in with, and so thank you very much for that, and we'll get to those questions in a bit. But let's start off with very top level. Again, this is Adam Bankhurst at IGN. Embracer Group has entered into an agreement to acquire Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IPs, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Kane, and more than 50 back catalog games from Square Enix Holdings for $300 million. Embracer Group shared the news in a press release saying this acquisition includes roughly 1,100 employees across three studios in eight global locations. The deal, if it goes through, is expected to close during Q2 of Embracer Group's financial year 2022-2023. Quote, we are thrilled to welcome these studios into the Embracer Group. We recognize the fantastic IP, world-class creative talent, and track record of excellence that has been demonstrated time and time and again over the past decades. It has been a great pleasure meeting the leadership teams and discussing future plans for how they can realize their ambitions and become a great part of Embracer, says Lars Wingfors, co-founder and group CEO, Embracer Group. Tim, I'm going to stop there because I want the Tim Gettys take on what is happening here. I mean, this is, it's absolutely insane. You know, uh, someone tweeted at us earlier today saying, do you smell that? It is acquisition season. And this is a season that I do not think uh, is going to end anytime soon. It is just beginning. We're seeing a lot of these shakeups. This is one that in particular I didn't expect and I didn't see coming uh, from a lot of different perspectives. I think the main one being 300 million is a much lower number than the numbers we've been seeing that uh, have a B in front of that second word uh, for the last couple of even uh, with Bungie 
right? A singular developer uh, in, in the billions. So for 300 million, getting all of these extremely talented uh, developers, including Crystal Dynamics and Eidos, it's like, come on. Like They have proven time and time again that they got the goods when it comes to making games. They also, there's been some mistakes in things like Avengers that obviously we don't even need to get into. We all understand that it's not pure hit factories over there, but there's a lot of factors that go into that uh, decision-making from above that leads down to the the games becoming what they are a bit more money grabby but when you look at things like the tomb raider franchise like they made great games then you look at like the sales of them and the expectations put on them by square and all that and it starts to add up a little bit more but that 300 million number to me tells a story and that you- story is they were trying to get rid of them hmm. for a, another reason i think that this is very much uh, a sign of what's to come for Square Enix themselves. They are trimming the fat. They are making sure that they are valuable to be sold off to somebody else. Oh, oh, so you think that's the alternative? Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna get into the next news story real quick, right? Because this involves Square Enix kind of explaining why they're they're selling, and then I have a question that piggybacks off of what you just said because I think that is a very interesting thought right there. Let's hop into another story from Adam Bankhurst at IGN. Uh, Square Enix has shared some of its reasoning behind the decision to sell Crystal Dynamics, Atos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal to Embracer Group, saying the transaction will allow the company to invest more in the blockchain, AI, and the cloud. Square Enix revealed the purpose of the transaction its execution of share transfer agreement, which changed its subsidiary's document, saying it'll assist the company in, quote, adapting to the changes underway in the global business environment by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources, which will enhance corporate value by accelerating growth in the company's core businesses in the digital entertainment domain. In addition, the transaction enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with the investments in fields including blockchain, AI, and the cloud, says Square Enix. This news follows Square Enix president Yosuke Matsuda's New Year's Day uh, 2022 letter that was centered on the company's growing focus on NFTs, blockchain games, and the metaverse. Matsuda also reiterated his interest in blockchain uh, in April 2022. Moving forward, Square Enix's, quote, development function will comprise its studios in Japan, Square Enix external studios, and Square Enix Collective. The company's overseas studios will continue to publish franchises such as Just Cause, Outriders, and Life is Strange, end quote. And so that is the Square Enix explanation of what's going on here hey we want to sell these studios so that we can uh, uh build more build more cash and make more room to focus in on blockchain ai in the cloud now tim you're talking mm-hmm. about the possibility of them selling so that they can get that weight off so that they can actually sell square enix itself to maybe a bigger publisher i got a question yep. here from... real quick can I, can I pop in here real quick just yeah, uh because I, I want i want to uh, address something that you were just talking about here like the blockchain stuff to me just feeds what I'm saying even more because not only is this them shedding things that cost them a lot of money and are not making as much money as they need it to, they are now able to invest in things that are going to make them a lot of money quickly potentially yes. to be even more valuable to sell at a higher price or whatever that is. Continue. Tim, Ryan Paula Higgins writes in and says, Hey, kind of funny games daily. Today, Embracer Group bought three of Square Enix's studios based in the West. This pretty much makes Square Enix a Japanese company again. Sony have done many exclusivity deals with Japanese with the Japanese side of Square Enix over the years, and rumors uh, and rumors there have been floating around of a big Sony purchase. We know the difficulty when buying a Japanese company, but do you think Sony will buy the rest of Square Enix now? It doesn't have the now that it doesn't have the Western studios. Take care and stay safe. Ryan Paola Higgins and Tim, I can even explain this out. Who do you think could this buy Square Enix? You think PlayStation, PlayStation. going to buy Square Enix? Yeah, Ryan nailed it. I mean, I, I, there's been rumors of that, but I think specifically now, uh, with when you think about where we're at, why would Square be kind of trimming everything if it's trying to sell to somebody? They're going to try to sell to one of the big dogs, and I think Microsoft simply out of the running, not because of interest, but because of their situation with Activision. Them putting down that gauntlet of like, yo, we are doing this. This is a big thing. All eyes are on them. They got the all the, the government entities and shit looking at every single thing they're doing. They're not going to be able to just be out there buying uh, people of the size of Square Enix. So I think that this is, and also not even just that, culture-wise, partnership-wise, there's so much history between Square and PlayStation. Even just look at the the lineup of the last couple of years on the PS4 uh, and now with PS5 with Final Fantasy VII Remake, Final Fantasy uh, 16, the PlayStation exclusives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Forspoken exclusive or not? Yes. Like, there's PC and PS5, yeah. So there we go, right? It's like it's the story kind of writes itself. Uh, there is the argument to be made of like, well, if they're exclusive anyways, why 
why would you need to purchase it? And it's like, well, it's acquisition season. That's kind of the trend going around right now. And everyone is kind of, there is this, this panic of gobble everyone up or who are we going to get gobbled by, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we look at the news of the last couple uh, weeks with like Ubisoft and they're them kind of like seemingly also preparing for a potential buy, right? And we know WB, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Like everyone kind of has a different thing to offer. And it's interesting to look at Square right now with their Japanese um offerings when it comes to like the final fantasy specifically with things like final fantasy uh 14 uh making as much money as it is right they have a core business here that is working but it's we also need to look at a lot of the square enix games that are coming out that are not hitting and it's like they're look, looking at all these uh the western devs as like the games being good quality whatever but not making the money they want but then they're putting games out like the blind man or whatever yeah the quiet man quiet man yeah yeah it's it's very fascinating to look at, and I I really love the lens in which you're 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 looking at it through because, I for me you're answering a lot of questions that I had because for me with this news story came a lot of questions of like, is this feel is this undervaluing right like I look at three hundred million dollars and that is three hundred million dollars for, eleven hundred employees right three studios Crystal Dynamics a talented studios Adult Montreal Adult Montreal a talented studio right like just coming off of Guardians of the Galaxy uh, uh Square Enix is it Montreal Square Enix Montreal yeah like a talented mm-hmm. mobile studio those are some talented studios right you then look at the IP being Tomb Raider one of the most like storied franchises franchises that they have right you're looking at Deus Ex you're looking at Thief you're looking at Legacy of Kane and the list goes on and on 300 million dollars seems so small for that do you feel like they're undervaluing I it's complicated right because like the where is the value for 300 million for the talent there i think is undervaluing for what we'd expect especially because it comes with so many iconic ip but at the end of the day the proof is in the pudding and these games despite their quality decisions have been made that they are not bringing in the money necessary so Mm -hmm. that to me is the most interesting part where we look at the embracer group being the ones to purchase them that is the most bummer news of all of this to me because right now it seems like that is a place that games and ip and teams go to die it is not necessarily something that is thriving and we're seeing like a uh cadence of game releases like they 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 don't seem like another a normal one of the publishers like a Ubisoft or an EA where it's like oh hey cool like we understand exactly what they're doing kind of seems a little bit piecemeal meal kind of seems like there's less um strategy across their entire um uh situation and it seems more just kind of like playing with what they got and buying more things as opposed to if we did see a purchase from a Sony or a Microsoft where I think that it'd be a little bit more in line with a plan and a strategy that makes a little bit more sense to us. But then you got to look at the fact that there's the IP that they had to license, right? We're talking about adventures. We're talking about guardians being two, I think of the bigger examples of where this starts to make a little bit more sense. Like that is where licensing deals come into play, where it costs money to be able to do that. And that hurts the profit and revenue that you can make from those titles, right? So when we look at the Tomb Raider side of things, it's like they made those decisions to partner with Xbox early, which I think uh, kneecaps Tomb Raider reboots successes of franchise in this generation because it kind of limited things to the wrong box, essentially, uh, back when Rise of the Tomb Raider first came out, right? That was a game that was like, supposed to be a big win for xbox but really it was the type of game that the player base was on playstation and that's a perfect example of a game that would have succeeded way more if it was multi-platform right and i think that because of that they kind of like sullied the tomb raider brand in terms of its money-making capabilities so they can restart now and also it makes so much sense now that uh they announced a new tomb raider game in the way that they did so we all need to keep Keep our eyes out at these random blog posts. They're not even blog posts. The tweets that are announcing games. All the shit that feels weird where it's like, huh, why would they put this in a presentation? It's like, if you put that out there, chances are they're making some moves to invest things, the chess pieces, all that stuff. So it's acquisition season, baby. Acquisition season. Tim, you brought up Avengers just a second ago. I want to bring in a question from the five-star man who wrote into patreon.com slash games, just like you can, and says, Morning, Tim, and Bless. I'm sure in the weeds with questions about the Embracer Group acquiring Eidos, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal, but I have what is probably the most important question. What does this mean for the Avengers, if anything at all? If you need to call in famed Avengers apologist Greg Miller, I understand. Thank you for your time, and have a great show, the five-star man. Tim, what, what, is this the writing on the wall? Is Avengers done? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think the writing has already been on the wall, but I feel like this is just like even more confirming it. Look, anything can happen. And Embracer Group has a lot of money. So if they wanted to, they could relicense and continue it all up. And like, to some extent, I wouldn't be surprised if we did get another Guardians of the Galaxy game See, from, that was from my, that team. That was my bigger question. I think Avengers, the writing has been on the wall for a minute. I think, you know, even if they didn't sell to, to Embrace Group, I think Avengers will be shut down within, like, the, the next year or so. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is a thing that did have a good first game launch. You would expect that that would turn into a franchise. Um, and you... and. With how this stuff works, right? You expect that licensing would have been going down on the Square Enix, Square Enix publisher side. So with that then being traded off to Embracer Group, I, I think there's a chance that you don't see that. I think there's a chance that you do, right? I think the question is, how much value does Embracer Group see in continuing Guardians of the Galaxy versus going, hey, just make another DSX or make another one of these games that we already have in our IP slate? Well, I think the bigger question there that we're just going to kind of have to wait and see is like, how does Embracer start treating its games? Like, do we end up getting an Embracer press conference during Summer Game Fest? Not this year, but like eventually where it is kind of looked to as as we used to look at an EA Play or a Ubisoft uh, E3 press conference where it's like, oh, cool. They do have all these different teams working on games and they're trying to treat it as if they are one one group. Or are they going to continue to kind of just function in, behind the scenes and just own a bunch of stuff and put out a bunch of ports? And then every once in a while, there is a bit more prestige titles. Uh, but we just haven't seen too many big examples of that, right? But now they have Borderlands. Like they, It's not like there was zero evidence uh, uh in the past of bigger type bigger like franchises triple a franchises being released by them um but we'll have to see where it goes from here with the licensing side of it but they have licenses to so many things they have spongebob they have like all of like stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think about or expect but on this side it's like there has to be it has to make sense and i think that this isn't evidence that they're never going to do a marvel project again but i don't think that it's like a guarantee i i think that it's less likely than likely so then i want to bring in another question right we're talking about summer showcases right dean labarca dean labarca writes in and says morning blessing and tim i woke up to the square enix news this morning and while i'm sure there are a lot of questions to be asked my mind jumps to square enix presents while all of the e3 style showcases are up in the air at the moment for obvious other reasons i'm now even more curious about what we'll see from square this summer do you think they can support an entire square enix presents without their western devs guardians was such a uh, such a huge part of the show last year personally i think any major games would just get passed to playstation for their show hope you all hope you all have a great start to the week tim do we see a square enix presents this year look i mean here's the thing do we probably do we need to no are all the big announcements going to be in playstation's event yes that's what i think is going to happen square infamously does these things no matter what no matter if they have content to show or don't they're gonna show a dragon warrior dragon quest trailer uh mm -hmm. for a game that came out 15 years ago five years ago two years ago it doesn't matter they're gonna play it with that goddamn theme song on repeat and it's gonna be the most awkward thing in the fucking world they just don't give a fuck uh so i imagine that they're gonna do that i think that when you look at the square enix presents um showcases the last couple of years they're at their most bizarre when it is here's one of the western ones and now here's one of the japanese ones back to back and it's just like it seems like nobody had any actual production background period coming up with the run of show and it just almost seems random what they're doing at least now there's a little bit more consistency in brand and tone and voice of the games that they're going to show but having said that i i think that all the exciting things mainly the final fantasy stuff and the kingdom hearts stuff and that level of uh game that going forward i imagine it's going to be more state of play focused which it has been already when we look at them for the last couple of years yeah, and that's that's my thing is I feel like when it comes to do we have a presentation, do we not have a presentation, it comes down to how much do we have to show. And I think that's, that puts them in a very interesting place this year where last year they did have Guardians that had a relatively big presence at that showcase, right? And the other game that had the big had a big presence, or the other games, I should say, were Babylon's Fall and then also um, Stranger of Paradise. I feel like now going into this next year, like, of course, they could have new games to announce. They could have more stuff. Square Enix is such an unpredictable weird publisher in that way where they can announce the most random ass game and give it a big spot uh but i would be surprised i think running this close to it having this sale go down right now i feel like you would throw those plans out the window unless you're aiming for maybe a late summer type thing where you can you know take a second look at what you have and figure out how you want to communicate that i feel like if the plan was or is 
next month. I think this shakeup kind of kind of takes a lot of wind out of, hey, what do we have to show? Like right now, I can't sit down and think from just the Japanese side what you show at Square Enix because I don't think you show yeah, Final, plus. a new Final Fantasy. I think Final Fantasy 16 is PlayStation, right? Forspoken, I think you show at PlayStation. What you're missing is what they show at these Square things. It is going to be a bunch of games that we are like, what? Like spinoffs and mobile games and like yeah. weird pixel remasters. And that's what they show at these Square Enix Presents things. And every once in a while, there's like a thing in the middle. The other thing to keep in mind is that despite this sale, they still have their publishing like partnership things that they got like with uh, People Can Fly with like Outriders and of then course, with yeah. Life is Strange and all that. So the Square Enix Presents can just be filled with that. You know, it could be, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't think it's going to happen, but like Life is Strange True Colors DLC or something like that. Like, I imagine that it, any update that is possible to give is going to be at a potential Square Enix Presents. And that's the level of announcements we're going to get. So then going back to the top of it, how do we feel about this deal? Like, is this, for me, I'm, I'm somebody who's a big fan of Deus Ex, right? I'm somebody who wants to continue to see... Crystal Dynamics kill it, because I also love Tomb Raider. I like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like, I want to see these games continue to thrive and grow and be good games. Do you do you feel good about this acquisition? Like, do you think the, do you think they're in good hands? Like, I don't know how to read Embrace. You mentioned it before, right? Embracer Group is such a weird company that has, like, no consistency. This doesn't You don't take this and look at it as a, oh, if PlayStation acquired them, you can see the strategy. If Microsoft acquired them, you can see the strategy. They get looped in the Game Pass, right? Like, with Embracer Group, there seems to be such a lack of concrete direction and i can't tell if that is hey we're hands off as a publisher and we just let our developers do what they do which could be a good thing or if it is the thing of hey we're messy we have we have we have so many studios we don't know how to manage them all because at this point we're well over 100 like for you how do you take this news not well I, I, I like and I know that when it comes to acquisition talks, everybody has a lot of feelings about it. And, you know, it can get scary. The word monopoly gets thrown around a lot. And there's just there's a lot of like bad sides to this. But at the end of the day, me personally, as a gamer that likes high quality video games of a certain type, I would much rather Crystal Dynamics go with either Microsoft or PlayStation than yeah. the Embracer group. Right. So that that to me is my biggest thing is I like Crystal Dynamics games. I like Eidos Montreal games. This is not good news to me. I don't think it's the worst news in the world. I don't think that it is going to destroy this and mean that we're never going to get a good Crystal game again. I think that we definitely could. I also don't know that this means we're going to, though. And anytime these acquisitions happen, what does that do to the actual teams, to the people working on the games? A lot of questions up in the air. Uh, but the positive side of it is you look at what Square Enix was doing with them, and it wasn't necessarily using their talents to their, their utmost, right? Especially when you look at things like Avengers. I do think on the flip side, Guardians was incredible. I love Guardians, and I stand by Guardians being an amazing, amazing game, period. But for their first uh, time first swing at a franchise like that i thought they knocked it out of the park uh but you look at it and you're like what is embracer going to do with that there's so many ip that have been dormant for years the legacy of canes and stuff that people are going to be really excited about but it's like i just don't know what it, what actually comes from this and does it push the needle in any any demonstrable way when you look at embracer the type of games that they've released the type of games that they have pushed in the last couple of years anything that i've been excited about embracer i still haven't actually gotten where's my time splitters mm -hmm. you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it's hard for me to be excited about these things that i like being in their hands because i really haven't seen any fruits of the labor of anything that potentially could have ever excited me coming out of embracer so far yeah yeah i think the looking at them in the hands of square enix right and like kind of what those studios were doing already it is a it, it is a very fascinating thing to think about and look at because i mentioned it i think in the last two episodes of kind of funny games daily that square enix is such a mystery to me in terms of just their inconsistency as a publisher right like they they put out they'll put out final fantasy 7 remake and have it be kind of funniest game of the year and then they'll put out quiet man right and then they'll put out outriders it's a very fine game and then they'll put out battle and wonder world right and then they'll put out life is strange and it's fucking great like there is so much up and down with square enix um especially when you look at their Western side and like how that fits in with the rest of Square Enix. Because there's a thing that we've talked about for a while, which is um, for a lot of these games, they've underperformed. Specifically, the Western side of Square Enix has underperformed for them. And that is underperformed in quotes, right? Like these games seem to be popular. These games seem to be doing good for the most part. When you look at Guardians and then you look at Marvel's Avengers, you can kind of see how that very much underperforms. But you go through the list and it is things like, you know, Outriders, I believe, failed to meet expectations, right? Guardians of the Galaxy failed to meet, failed to meet expectations. Even Tomb Raider, uh, 2013, I think 2018 also failed to meet expectations. You go down the list of Hitman, you know, Hitman and IO 
got sold off from, or not, didn't even get sold off, actually. Got let go, IO became independent because Hitman wasn't meeting expectations for Square Enix. And again, the list goes on. They stopped doing Deus Ex after Mankind Divided, right? They, um, uh, Just Cause, I believe, the latest one also underperformed. The list goes on like that. And I think this was probably the, the inevitable case of them selling them off because Square Enix seems to be just changing as a publisher. They seem to be more so focusing in on hey, the MMO stuff is working great for us. The mobile stuff is working great for us. The ongoing stuff is working great for us. And Final Fantasy is working great for us. And it reminds me a little bit, and I don't want to be too, like, I don't know, extremist about it, but it reminds me a bit of Konami, when Konami started to realize that, hey, maybe putting out new Silent Hills and Castlevanias isn't necessarily the vibe. Maybe we can just continue to do Pachinko Machines and put out maybe Metal Gear Survive and see if that hits. Oh, it doesn't hit? Cool, let's just fall back, right? Square Enix isn't that yet. But it does seem like this is them going, hey, what works for us? It's these core things that we do and maybe blockchain, maybe maybe cloud stuff. We'll see. And I think you make a good point that like, yeah, I think that is the boost of price. I think that is the boost of value to, for them to sell. Um, but Square Enix is in a very fascinating place. Like if they sell, I hope they sell to somebody good, right? Like I think they'd be in good hands at PlayStation. I think that with, with yeah. the partnerships already there. It makes sense strategically, you know. You could you could already see how that goes with Final Fantasy and all and and, and all that stuff. I think again, it makes sense. But I think the biggest you know. the biggest thing against Square selling to PlayStation is how uh, much money they make from the Nintendo side of things. Like when you look at at Square's output, there is so much exclusive Nintendo content um, that performs very well. So they would have to really keep that in mind if they were to sell to PlayStation or PlayStation would have to figure out some type of Microsoft situation like they have with like Minecraft where it's like, cool. Yes, we own them, but we're, we're going to actually still publish and develop games for the Nintendo switch, which would be a drastic change from how PlayStation's ever done anything, but we're in unprecedented times here. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being the case. And somebody in chat also uh, asked the question of what does this mean for Perfect Dark? The initiative did tweet out uh, this morning after this news, uh, quote, we're excited to see Crystal Dynamics take these next few steps with their studio. Our teams have made great progress in building Perfect Dark together as co-development partners and we'll continue, we'll be continuing this work with them in their next chapter. And so they're still going to be working on Perfect Dark. That's still, that's still uh, ongoing. Tim. To close out this discussion, I want to bring in one more question from Glutenful uh, from patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames, who writes and says, the biggest news of the day is obviously Embracer now owning Gex. Do you think we're now guaranteed a Gex revival? And what would you want from that sexy green boy? Tim, is this the return of Gex? I mean, real talk, like if Gex was, uh, yes, it is. I'm just going to fucking say it now. We will oh, get yeah. a Gex game from uh, Embracer Group. Yes. When? Oh, yeah. I don't know, but it's going to happen. Hell yeah. You heard it here first. And Gex. it's going to have a weird ass subtitle. Like What's it's going to be, I don't know, but like, I swear to God, like, like every single time they, they reissue a game port or like old legacy sequel, they always have weird ass fucking things mm. from Embracer. So Tim, we got more to talk about regarding acquisition, but before we get there, I want to let people out there know about patreon.com slash kind of funny games where you can go and get the show ad free. And speaking of ads, let us tell you about our sponsors. Shout out to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like walking your dog in public without securing them on a leash. Most of the time, you'll probably be fine. But what if one day your dog runs away or gets dog-napped? It's better to be careful, especially when it's as simple as using ExpressVPN. We've been using ExpressVPN here at Kind of Funny for years now. Me personally, I've been using it, and I know that my internet browsing is secure. It just gives me that peace of mind that I need. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, your online data is not secure, but ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so they can't, and it's great. I use it on my desktop. I use it on my phone. I use it everywhere that I use the internet. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. You can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash kindoffunny. That's expressvpn.com slash kindoffunny. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V vpn.com slash kinda funny shout out to chime for sponsoring this episode no one likes waiting on a paycheck especially when you've got bills due good thing there's chime now you can get your paycheck up to two days early with direct deposit that's up to two more days to save pay bills and generally just feel good about your money situation but chime is more than just about getting paid early it's also an award-winning mobile app checking account debit card and optional savings account so 
What are you waiting for? Hopefully not your paycheck. You can get started with Chime today. Applying for a free account takes less than two minutes. You can get started at Chime.com slash KF Games. That's Chime.com slash KF Games. C-H-I-M-E dot com slash KF Games. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on Shout out to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. Definitely not me. I took Spanish, didn't do well in it the first time, did okay the second time. You know what? We'll move on. Now, thanks to Babbel, a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Greg Miller has been learning French little by little, and now when he goes back home to, to Canada to see Jen's family, he'll be able to communicate better. Isn't that a lovely situation? Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language language on the go. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Right now, you can save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash kindoffunny. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash kindoffunny for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. One more time, babbel.com slash kindoffunny. Tim, from chat, I have two chats here, right? Frank Mm -hmm. Furter says, Gex gonna give it to you. Gex, okay. don't give it to you. I like that. And then I, I missed the username for this next one. It's, it's Snug Slacks here. Says okay. the Gex Executioner. <laughs> the Executioner. Gex, okay. Executioner. Hard okay. R rating. Cool. You feeling either of those for a Gex, Gex game? I, Gex either I, I look blessed. No matter what it's called, I'm gonna play it. Uh, but I, out of those two, I think I'd rather play Gex. Go and give it to you. It feels more in line mm. with the the legacy of Gex, of staying true to the fucking respect that Gex deserves. All right. Mm. Tim, speaking of legacy, mm-hmm. let's hop in to story number two. Warner Brothers games could soon be for sale. This is Rory Young at Game Rant. Earlier in April, the merger between Discovery and Warner Media officially closed, becoming Warner Brothers Discovery. Warner Brothers Interactive's game studios have largely been left uh, alone through the merger period, only selling Playdemic TEA in June 2021. Now that the merger is finalized and Warner Brothers Discovery is restructuring, plans for Warner Brothers Interactive Studios appear to have changed. A report claims that Warner Brothers Discovery is already shopping its studios to interested parties, which include PlayStation and Xbox. The report comes from Fanbyte Media's Imran the Don Khan, who says that he's, quote, hearing a decent bit of chatter regarding WB Discovery's new plans. Khan explains that WB Discovery is shopping its game studios around. Uh, the list list of studios at Warner Brothers Interactive currently includes Avalanche Software, Monolith Productions, NetherRealm Studios, Rocksteady Studios, as well as TT Games and WB Studios in Montreal, Boston, New York, San Diego, and San Francisco. One detail that Khan draws attention to is that WB Discovery is specifically considering selling its game studios and not its intellectual property. In other words, WB Discovery wants to sell Rocksteady and license out the Batman and Suicide Squad properties, sell sell Avalanche and license Harry Potter, and potentially sell NetherRealm while retaining and licensing Mortal Kombat. Uh, The following was tweeted by Imran the Don Khan on April 29th, quote, couldn't get co- enough confirmation to actually write a post about it, but hearing a decent bit of chatter this week about WB Discovery shopping their game development studios around. Interested parties include EA, Take-Two, Microsoft, Sony, Tencent, NetEase, and PUBG Corp. WBD wants to sell studios and license IP, supposedly. Tim, motherfucking Gettys. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while, right? The possible sale of WB Game Studios. Where are you at with this newest update from Emron the Don Con, which was just a few tweets, by the way, just a couple tweets, not necessarily. Yeah, and then I, I think it's important even to give the context of the tweet was originally Emron's. Like, it wasn't an article he wrote. In these tweets, yeah. he said, couldn't get enough confirmation to actually write a post about it, but I'm hearing a decent bit of chatter about blah, blah, blah. Um, so just, just some context there. And even then, with what Emron's saying, it's like, yeah, I hear chatter from a whole bunch of different things. So it's like, yeah. I think that's kind of the reality of where WB and Discovery is at right now. Like, it's not just video games, it's their entire entertainment uh industry that they have going in every single vertical we're seeing a lot of uh switch ups and change ups i mean in the last two weeks i think there's been like <laughs> multiple dc projects that were greenlit and then canceled uh, yep. just in the last two weeks so it's like we're seeing a lot of different uh switch ups change ups like across the the board so i think that all of this is inevitable it's just a matter of how it shakes out i do think it's very interesting to talk about it in the context of the first story 
today that we talked about of Square Enix selling off um, the Western devs with their IP. It's a clean thing, except for the fact that the Marvel licensing uh, isn't part of that deal because they don't own it. They're licensing it here. Pretty much every single uh, WB Games studio is tied to a licensed product of some sort. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about the, the Harry Potter or um, the D- DC projects that they're they're working on um, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Even, even, even Mortal exactly. Kombat, right? Like that's a video game franchise, but WB still owns that. Yeah. And so that's that's where it all gets complicated. We have Mortal Kombat at this point it has kind of like transcended into more yes. of like pop culture brand uh, as opposed to just a video game. Uh, but I think that their plan to sell the teams and then license out the the properties is ambitious and not <laughs> yeah i mean hey wb get like, that money like I, that's fucking I, I baller. wonder if they do look at disney because of like wb thinking of themselves as like the main like mm-hmm. uh you know property uh competitor to disney and like seeing disney not you know really developing in-house but you know licensing marvel and and uh all that stuff uh out and stuff i wonder if that's like hey let's stop spending in-house to make these things we can just you know uh give out licenses here and there Absolutely. I also think it's it's them at the very start of trying to make this deal happen where this this merger finally goes through and it's them being like, cool, what is the most profitable way we can sell off these studios? Oh, it's by keeping the IP and then licensing out the IP that these studios are known for. I, I My question is, does this stick? Like, how long do they go about this before um, they're, they realize that they can't sell? Or do they actually sell? Like, does, does anybody actually uh, bite the bait? I mean, the thing is, when it comes to WB games, in every single way, there's value. Like, I think this is yeah. different than uh, a lot of the Square stuff we were just talking about. Like, we're talking about whether you're looking at the teams here. They're all incredibly talented teams that sell games, like all of them. And their IP that that matter and sell games. All yeah. of them, right? We're talking about Harry Potter and Batman. <laughs> like, you don't get bigger yes. than Batman, right? Uh, but then even then, like, things like Mortal Kombat or The Lord of the Rings. Like, these are franchises that don't need to just be with uh the teams here avalanche or monolith or whatever that are making them uh it could be cool let's license out a lord of the rings game to crystal dynamics or to like whoever right um and there there's a lot of money to be made there and a lot of potential high quality game experiences uh to be had there i think this is inevitable i think uh it's also interesting to look at them potentially piecemealing this out as opposed to Square, who just got rid of all of them in one fell swoop, which I feel like is evidence to they're trying to lean out Square Enix to be able to sell to someone else the Japanese side of it. Uh, but here it's like it seems like this is a strategic money move where I don't think it's going to be one group coming in buying all of this. I think it's going to be potentially Microsoft gobbles up Nether Realm, PlayStation takes this, Ubisoft takes that, like that type of thing. I think is a, a lot more likely. I, I think it's just fascinating the position they're in uh, as WB, right? Where they have like they have Netherrealm, and I don't think you, as as any other publisher, I don't think you buy Netherrealm without getting Mortal Kombat with it, right? Like you don't buy like any of these studios. There, you you mentioned it uh, well that like each of these studios are tied to a certain IP or a certain game that I think even like exceeds or at the very least broadens out the 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 value of that studio in a way where it's like I'm not buying um uh like anyone. I'm not buying. Uh, Rocksteady without getting a DC property with it. I'm not going to have them work on some random thing. Maybe you could, but it's like... But I think you could. I, that's, you I could, think but Rocksteady... is it worth it, though? Like, if you can get... Oh, Rocksteady, 100%. Deal? Uh, 100% yeah. That, like, they're going to put something special into literally any license that they, they well, get, you know? Yeah, and I'm, not, I'm not, not saying that, like, they can't work on their own new IP or even a different kind of license, but if you can get that two-for-one deal of get Rocksteady and then get Suicide Squad or some Batman thing with it, oh, I think you're you're making that deal. Yeah, but I like that's just not going to happen because they I don't think you could sell the license that way, right? And at the end of the day, they're well, still no, I licensing. Mean they're still, I mean like I, yeah, I mean they like they're still like oh, yeah, I mean they're still licensing out, right? I don't think they're going to yeah. sell Batman or whatever. Yeah, but. it's just like that's that is it's interesting cuz like I think like going through the different teams, it's like looking at um NetherRealm, it's like is NetherRealm valuable without Mortal Kombat? 
And I think the answer is yes, if they are also tied with another IP. But at that point, you need different licensing. But people have different licensing to be able to apply to it. Like I, Mortal Kombat is an X factor where the game just fucking sells extremely well. There's a mm. high, the, the game itself is amazing. But also, there's just legacy to the the Mortal Kombat franchise. But like, imagine if NetherRealm came in and like this is still licensing. But imagine if they made a Marvel fighting game. I mean, I think at that point, then that is a fucking like wild ass. Like, yes, this this brings in the value. Uh, but I think it has to be a scenario like that. Like, I don't think I can't imagine a publisher wanting to buy NetherRealm for just the talents of NetherRealm, right? Not that NetherRealm was an incredible developer. Not that they couldn't make something incredible by their own merit or something that's outside of Mortal Mortal Kombat that is fantastic. But I think even us as an audience. If we see that sale go through and they go, cool, hey, we're, we're NetherRealm and now we're making a brand new fighting game IP because we literally cannot make Mortal Kombat. I think from the audience side, we go, oh, well, shit, like that sucks, right? Like that is your baby. That is Ed Boon. That is a, that is what we know you for. We want you to, when we know you want to make more Mortal Kombat, you know, why can't you make this happen? Make this deal happen, right? Like I feel like there's such an attachment, at least for those two, right? I think for the other ones, mm-hmm. Rocksteady even, there's an attachment to Batman, but they don't necessarily have to make Batman. Um, but I think if you can make, if you can't have them make Batman, then you might as well just go for it. Because I think that is, that is where you see that highest form of value come into play. Yeah. It's interesting where to, to Barrett's point earlier, it's like clearly, I mean, nothing's clear at this point with WB because everything is so murky and like in a state of flux and constant change with all the acquisitions in AT&T. And like, it's been layered so much in the last decade that like, where we're at now seems to be the end of the road, but like we'll fucking see. Um, but the thing is with WB, if they are going to hold on to DC, which there's always the chance they sell DC as a whole. Like I feel like literally any day we can wake up and it's just like DC sold to Disney and it would be like, what the fuck? But um, as it stands now, I think that they don't want that to be the case. And they, they know the value of the IP that WB as a whole owns currently. So They'd want to get rid of every team as soon as possible. Like, it's better to have no game development teams than two or three. Like, get rid of all of them and then just start making that money off the licensing because you make the money off selling the teams and then you make the money off licensing yeah. too. And at that point, it's you're widening their the cake pool. And it too. Exactly. And they're able to license to whoever wants to in the same way that Marvel uh, partnered, Disney and Marvel partnered up with Square Crystal Dynamics to make Avengers or Idos Montreal to make Guardians. Now, all of a sudden, they're open to sell like Mortal Kombat games. I don't I think Mortal Kombat because of Ed Boon and because of Netherrealm is the least likely of the yeah. franchises. It's like Kojima Productions and Metal Gear, right? It's yeah, like, exactly. Like, those, it's like, oh what the fuck. But imagining a any of the other games that they work on here, like someone else making a Batman game that's not Rocksteady, I can see them doing it as, if it's yeah. a completely different take on Batman and being successful. One 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 hundred percent. The thing I'd be fascinated to see would be if they if if a publisher like let's say an ea or a ubisoft came to wb and they were like hey we will buy all these studios outright in bulk and just have like an ongoing licensing agreement with you to make all these games um and we split like we split it however it it, it gets split like i think there could be possibility for that because the idea of selling all these things piecemeal is what gets like real murky and real scary and real real weird and i wonder if like there is way more ease and just go in, in a in a publisher going, hey, let's just buy all of it. You know, but we'll the thing just buy is, all these from you. We're getting to a point with this acquisition season mm-hmm. that it is just it's untenable. It, it you these companies, no company in the world is gonna be able to manage that like acquiring this isn't just acquiring a name and a logo to put on a fancy uh press conference image, right? Yeah, that is they make it seem that way. You're getting thousands of employees. You're getting like different buildings around the world where taxes are different every single place you go. There's layers of complication that start adding up where it's like the Activision Blizzard thing going into Microsoft. That alone almost puts Microsoft in a position where it's like we're already seeing that they can't handle it all, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like where there's going to be this like transition period of everyone trying to figure it out. Like I, despite them having the money or not having the money. Microsoft can't come in and buy all whatever six of these studios to add on to their their studio list because at a certain point it's just it's unmanageable. You can't have that many employees on payroll and make sure that everything is working the way that it needs to on top of having to also be profitable and make money and all this shit. Tim, 
I want to keep talking to you about acquisitions. Story number three. Now PlayStation is also hiring for an acquisitions manager. This is Chris Golian at Video Games Chronicle. Sony is seeking a director to help it make acquisitions and investments in other companies in the games industry. As spotted by, by business analyst Roberto Serrano, the director of corporate development listing uh, based in Sony's California office, says the successful applicant will be mainly involved in identifying potential future acquisitions and investment targets. Uh, quote, Sony Interactive Entertainment, PlayStation, seeks a highly qualified director, corporate development, director of corporate development. SIE's corporate development team works closely with SIE's management team and is responsible for identifying inorganic growth opportunities through acquisitions, investments, or joint ventures, the ad reads. Quote, the team sources, uh, evaluates, and, com and completes transactions that are aligned with SIE's strategic priorities and drive, and drive significant long-term value for the company, end quote. The role appears to be similar to an Xbox listing posted last week, uh, which seeks a manager in the company's gaming strategy and development department. Tim, <laughs> acquisition season doesn't stop. It just doesn't. No, it's, it's not going to. I mean, this all adds up. I, it, I think that we are probably like three years out from acquisition season being over. Oh man, three. I would see, I would even go as far as to say like five or six. I it's gonna be like a long season now. It's gonna be a long season. Uh, Tim is going to answer a door. This is fascinating to me. Uh, I think like seeing, seeing where we're at, right, with Square Enix, right? I think for sure they're on the table. For me, the question is, what else is on the table? I think this is them going, cool. We we're we're reading the industry right now. We're seeing how much is going on. We're seeing we're seeing Microsoft buy Bethesda, followed by Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard at the top of the year. I think this is kind of an inevitable thing, an inevitable shift that they're having to make, which is cool. Let's build a team. Like let's Avengers this shit. We gotta fucking like focus in and, and build an actual squad that, squad that is responsible for figuring out what's on the market and how to build our studios in a viable way. Because yeah, like the comp competition is like is building. I mean, when you look at it, there just aren't that many conglomerates left, right? Like, I, yeah. I like to think of it in the way of showcases. Uh, during E3 season, who has a showcase? And at what point do they not have a showcase because they're just a part of someone else's showcase, right? Yeah. That is where we're currently at. So at this point, you know, like back in the day, E3 circuit meant we're getting the big three, we're getting Nintendo, we're getting Xbox, we're getting PlayStation. But then we were also getting Ubisoft, Konami, Square. And those are kind of like the three third-party ones. Nowadays, yeah. that's not the case. Konami's gone, right? We get the Square. We get the um, the the Ubisoft. But then we're also getting so many other yeah, ones. Just like media. Those, yeah, exactly. Like these. The fandom. And which I know is exa different. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, but the fandom, I would say, totally counts. Like, that is mm -hmm. WB Games kind of presentation. And I started looking at all that, and it's like, at what point is it really just playstation microsoft and i mean even with nintendo there is always the the chance of them being gobbled up at some point i think that that is i understand crazy to say but that, it's like look, the final boss look at the world we're in at this point man yeah it's like the, it's it is not that crazy anymore like this this is just the era that we're in and it, it's going to be a battle i don't think it's ever going to end where it's just one group that owns everything but i do think that it'd be silly to not imagine a world where couple years from now it is really the big three meaning something completely different than it does now mm. tim when does konami get acquired and by who see that's another big question like it's interesting to look at like the legacy of a lot of these uh different teams and publishers and like the ip that they own like at this point konami the value is the ip it's not the teams yeah right like we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about WB games and talking about how like any, and even the square stuff like the last hour talking about how the value is the IP and, and the, the teams. teams. Yeah. Whereas Konami right now really just kind of seems like it's, it is purely the IP. Um, and that is not uh, a fault of the teams there. The talent that is there, it's just the management of that talent and what they've done and the lack of output they've even had over the last couple of years um, without very specific things like soccer games or whatever um, that do well. I mean, the soccer games now are, are as bad, right? Like eFootball uh, was the latest release from uh, Konami, which is like them shifting to free-to-play, and it's been a trash fire. So even that now is in a bad place. Yeah, so it's like looking at that, I, I feel like it is really just – Counting down the days till Konami stops being bullish for whatever reasons they are. 
uh, with all this stuff. Like, I feel like they are trying to hold out, and I'm not really sure why, because I'm honestly surprised PlayStation hasn't bought Konami IPs by this point. I think it will be PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone else would make it a, a, a shocker. Ah, but it could be Embracer Group. <laughs> oh, God, please, no. <laughs> I, God, I, no. You know, Chad always uh, reminds me of, like, how much uh, Konami does outside of video games and just, like, how well that side of their business like does and that's probably why we haven't seen anything from them like i would i would see them licensing out their ip before we see ip acquisitions or any other company trying to buy them it's that goddamn metal gear pachinko machine yeah. ruining everything yeah it really is tim we got one more news story for the roper report story number four nintendo switch sports smashes to number one in the uk this is christopher dring at gamesindustry.biz Nintendo Switch Sports is comfortably number one in the UK box charts this week, according to the latest GFK data. It is the third biggest UK launch for the franchise behind Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort. Those two games sold practically the same at launch as one another. Uh, Wii Sports was only available packed in, the, packed in with the Wii console. Uh, by comparison, Nintendo Switch Sports has sold less than half of what those games managed during the launch week. However, the latest game has performed significantly better than the previous title, Wii Sports Club, on the Wii U, which failed to reach the top 40 when it launched in a box back in 2014. It also reached number 13 in the Wii U charts. Can you imagine <laughs> reaching number 13 on the Wii U charts? That's fucking wild. Uh, all, all historical, that's like five games. It's competing. How do you get to number 13? <laughs> all historical data is courtesy of GFK. To compare uh, the game to other recent party games, uh, Nintendo Switch Sports sold more than double what Mario Party Superstars managed, and almost eight times what Just Dance 2022 achieved, both released in November 2021. It has also sold more than six times what Ring Fit Adventure did during its launch week back in October 2019. Week 1 sales are not a great indicator for these types of games. Uh, all, the, all of those titles named above had a, quiet, had a quiet opening week, but have gone on to sell significant units. The audience they target are more casual and are less likely to rush out on day one. As a result, the real success of Nintendo Switch Sports will depend on how it performs over the coming months and even years. Uh, here is the GFK UK box top 10 for the week, ending April 30th. At number 10, we got Animal Crossing New Horizons. At 9, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. 8, Crazy. GTA 5. 7, Elden Ring. 6, Wario Kart 8 Deluxe. At 5, Pokemon Legends Arceus. At 4, Horizon Forbidden West. At 3, Gran Turismo 7. At 2, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. And then at number 1 for the UK boxed charts, you got Nintendo Switch Sports. Impressive. 5 Nintendo Switch exclusives. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Holy shit. Half the list. It's incredible. It's incredible to see Mario uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I guess the DLC helps boost it up. But even regardless, I would think it'd be there anyway, right? Like, for me, it's still wild to see how well that game does. And Animal Crossing coming in at number 10. Like, that's... Yeah. And on top of that, LEGO Star Wars not exclusive, but six of these games are on the Switch. Yeah. Insane. Uh, Tim, very curious mm. to see how Nintendo Switch Sports does long term, but... That is so far away. If I went and was coming out to Mammograph Shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform is listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show host each and every weekday. Yeah. Out today, we got Sifu Vengeance Edition for PS5 and PS4. Uh, and then we have a deal of the day. PlayStation Now games for May have been announced. You're getting Naruto Shippuden, uh, Ultimate Ninja Storm 4, Soul Calibur 6, and then Blasphemous. So get hyped for that. Tim, now it's time. For reader mail, you can write into patreon.com slash kind of funny games where you can get your questions read on the show, just like Casey did. Casey writes in and says, Why weren't the major Switch sports reviews labeled reviews in progress? Online is clearly the default mode of the game. It's the only one that has progression and unlockables. Scoring the game without online feels irresponsible. Maybe it's on Nintendo for not having online ready for reviewers. Uh, who dropped the ball here, reviewers or Nintendo? To start off, I did see quite a few reviews in progress for Nintendo Switch Sports. Like even some of the ones I pulled for the um, uh, review roundup last week on KFGD, like I think it was GameSpot that had theirs in progress as well. So I do want to point that out. And then mine also was a re- review in progress. But Tim, and wasn't IGN's as well? I don't recall if IGN's was or not. I, I think it was. I mean, yeah. Casey, you're wrong us if, if that's wrong. But yeah, I, I definitely saw more reviews in progress. I, don't, I didn't personally see any people label it just full-on review. 
Yeah, like I in to the question of like who dropped the ball, Nintendo or Nintendo. Yeah, like I mean, honestly, I think that is on Nintendo, right? Like you give somebody a review copy and you say, "Hey, here's the here's the experience. This is the embargo, and we don't have online, so just review it as is." Right? I think the expectation is that you're just going to review what's there, and I think it is on each outlet to decide how to service their audience, right? Like what is their audience looking for, and how do you provide the best service to them, and like. For GameSpot, because I I literally messaged I messaged to more of this like uh, as I was as we were leading into the review because I was like, should I have online? Like, is this weird? Like, online seems like a yeah. very big part of the game. And tomorrow's like, yeah, we're doing a review in progress. So I was like, okay, cool. I, I guess that makes sense. So I'll probably do that for mine too. Um, I mean, you hit me up and you're just like, yeah. hey, like, is online supposed to work? And I hit up our Nintendo guy and he goes, oh, we'll have more information on that later. And then later was the day it came out. <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> exactly classic Nintendo. Yeah, and I mean, like, look, like that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah. that's bad for a game like this that like really so much of the experience is surrounding online especially i'm hearing like the progression and all that stuff like you really only progress when you're playing you online you only like, progress online and that's the thing that i mean i i i, I would have preferred for them not to give review copies if they're not going to have if for this game if they weren't going to have online because playing online i'll say is an entirely different experience from playing offline right like offline and this is what i talked about in my review which again comes back to hey, if you're giving reviewers only this portion of the game to talk about, that means that they can only talk about that portion of the game. And if that is the insignificant portion of the game, that's going to color your game a certain way, I would think. And so for me, talking about my review, right? Like on the Gamescast episode, for those who listen to it, and even on the Kind of Funny Games Daily where we did the review roundup, I try to preface it as much as possible where I was saying, hey, like this is me playing offline. Like online seems like it's a big part of the game. This is a review in progress, right? Like I put it all, put in all those indicators to let our audience know like, hey, this is what you should expect. But even with that, right? That leaves me just to talk about what I could talk about. And for me, what I did talk about was what was an underwhelming offline experience because all the progression is online, right? If you want to earn gear, if you want to like level up, if you want to do rank stuff, all that stuff is online. The stuff that is offline are purely just the sports. And the sports are good, right? The sports are 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 like range. The sports range from like okay to fun. It is the Wii Sports, you know, right? It is that. It is that game, and it is that game without baseball in boxing, which I love baseball and boxing. So take that for what it is. But with that, like you can only speak to what you have. And so, like for me, that that was my what my review is based on, and what like all reviews were based on uh, uh, that day. But that said, right now that online is out, I would expect that you're seeing the updates. And like, I've not experienced as much online. I played for about an hour or so, and I want to go back and play more. But it seems like the online does add quite a bit. I don't know if it's going to add enough to where people are changing the review scores, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm down to wait and see. And, I did have fun. And that's uh, probably what online. Nintendo thought uh, as well, because again, like the reviews of this game probably weren't as important to them. Like they probably like uh, think about it as like a margin of like, okay, like gamers are going to like look at scores, but yeah. how many gamers are actually going to pick this up? We want to like really tackle the uh, casual audience who are just going to hear, Oh, there's a new Wii sports and it's on the switch. Like that's what they care about. And those people aren't going to read reviews. Like they don't give a shit. So um, yeah, I feel like yeah. for this and one, I think especially, they're just like, yeah, whatever we're going to do. What I we think can. that's 100%. And I think for things like this, like I don't know if Nintendo does um, mock reviews or not. I imagine every company to some extent does mock reviews, but I imagine if they had mock reviewers, they probably saw the like. I imagine those mock reviewers probably gave the game probably like somewhere in a seven, like a seven or eight, because the game is Wii Sports, and they know that their audience, if they're buying Nintendo Switch Sports, they're buying it because they want to play Wii Sports, and that is what the game is, and that's good, right? That's awesome. But I think to your point, Barrett, like you're absolutely right that for them, they probably look at reviews as a very insignificant portion of this game's rollout because it is about jumping in and having that nostalgic experience and being being able to play tennis and play volleyball and, and all that stuff and to that extent like how many of the hardcore gaming audience looks at reviews for nintendo switch sports and makes that decision off of reviews it's like no you know what the game is like go play the yeah. game if you want to play the game i mean the reality is video game companies aren't giving review copies to media outlets for ethical reasons <laughs> you know it's advertising to them so like they are getting these things in people's hands so people are talking about them and making people aware now there is that double-edged sword of if you give people a bad product they will talk about how bad it is and then it, it negatively affects you but i bet you that if you look up uh switch sports reviews and switch sports coverage there is going to be more coverage of this game from mainstream outlets than uh that, that don't normally cover video games 
um, that like things like cosmopolitan, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'm just pulling that out of my ass, but like things like that, I imagine are talking about this game and they're not talking about final fantasy. They're not even talking about Mario necessarily, but that is who they're, um, putting this out to and those reviews aren't going to be the type of in-depth reviews they're talking about the online experience they're just going to be talking about hey this game's out and that's kind yeah. of their review you know exactly if you're watching the video version and you see me like darting my eyes to this direction it's not because i'm rolling my eyes it's because there is the loudest construction which i don't think it's picking up on the mic but on it's my very side slight. Is there a slight? Okay, they, it sounds like they are banging on my wall. It's been going on, going on throughout the entire episode, and that has been an exercise of paying attention on this episode, let me tell you. But hey, we're getting through it. Now it's time for kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong, where you write in, let us know what we got wrong as we got it wrong, so we can correct it for those watching later on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames and on podcast services around the globe. Uh, that's not a you're wrong. Let's see. Let's see, let's see. Starkzilla says, WB doesn't own Lord of the Ring gaming rights. They are currently for sale and expected to sell to Amazon for nearly $2 billion, which is interesting. Is, Tim, do you know anything about that? Is that a factoid? That sounds... Well, that sounds right because I know the Lord of the Rings rights. It's like a similar thing to James Bond where it's like really extra weird because of the people um, that, that actually own it. So it's like they've always just been licensing out. Gotcha. And then Nano writes in and says, IGN's Nintendo Switch Sports Review is not listed as a review in progress. So I mean, but has that changed yeah. since launch day, though? Or since reviews I, have gone out? When I, when I pulled their review for review roundup, I don't think it was a in-progress review gotcha. then as well. Gotcha. Um, GameSpot definitely was. And there are definitely other ones that were. Um, but yeah, I think it's outlet per outlet. It is Monday, which means we have a full week ahead of us for Kind of Funny Games Daily. This week's hosts go like this. On Tuesday, you're getting Greg and Tim. On Wednesday, you're getting me and Janet. Thursday, you're getting Greg and Tim. Then on Friday, you're getting Greg and me. If you're watching this live on Twitch right now, after this is another edition of KFW with Greg and Snow Michael. Michael. If you want to catch that later, you can, of course, go over to YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games. Uh, that is YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games, not plays for Kind of Funny Wrestling because we're making it a dope-ass thing. So go check it out there. Remember, this has been Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and weekday live right here on Twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. We run you through the nerdy news you need to know about. We have a Patreon post show for those that are subbed at the silver level of Patreon.com slash Kind of Funny Games. So stick around for that. Otherwise, until next time, game daily.